Good afternoon, friends. Welcome to a, another grand and glorious day here in the best little city in America. Of course, that, you know that, as Sioux Falls, South Dakota, from which this fine signal information 1000 emanates from. We're going to spend a couple hours here on the Patrick Lally Show, engaged in some energetic and entertaining conversation, local, state, national news and politics. We'll talk some sports today, a little travel, civil rights. It's good stuff. Uber producer Dan Peters is in the studio with us today, thankfully. And uh, thank you for spending some time with us on your radio at Information 1000 KSOO. Streamed live at KSO.com or on the KSO mobile app. Uh, and uh, you can follow us on Twitter at P. Lally Show. At P. Lally Show. Uh, so, Dan, before we get into it, uh, just a programming note. Uh, on Monday, uh, we're going to have Teresa Staley in, City Councilor Teresa Staley. Because uh, she's uh, she's in a dust up. Have you seen the dust up? A tiff. A tiff. A little T for T. She is uh, uh, had a press conference this afternoon, and uh, she's upset uh, by the appointment of this uh, guy to the uh, as like the what the technologies are. Whatever. Information and technology. Yeah, director Jason Reisdorfer, who I you know the thing is I don't know very much about Jason. Other than I see him on Facebook all the time. We're Facebook friends, and he's a frequent social media guy. You know, he's out there. He's, he's in the medias. Uh, I don't know him personally. The Director of Innovation and Technology. There we go. That is the official post that he has been nominated to serve. Director of Innovation and Technology created by uh, some reorganization at City Hall by Mayor Paul Tenhaken, who, by the way, is scheduled for a week from Monday. Uh, in fact, we have, we have city councilors coming up on Thursday. We've got Kurt Soule. Monday, we got Teresa coming back to talk about this uh, uh, Jason Reisdorfer thing. And then uh, the next Monday, we got Paul Tenhaken, the mayor. And then there's some other people who are, we're awaiting. So we're, doing, we're just doing the whole round of city officials again. But that, that, on Monday, we're going to talk with Teresa about this. But she's having her, uh, uh, her little shindig today um, down at the library. And she's mad. This is so weird because... Reisdorfer was on the park board and they got in like a Facebook fight <laughs> uh, over the her proposal to uh, create districts out of the parks board, you know, and it's it's kind of a weird thing. So at the time, you know, it was fairly innocuous to me. You know, I could I watched it happen in real time. And, you know, you got this parks board guy who's disagreeing with Teresa and they go back and forth, yada, yada, yada. Now, Teresa says that she has now unfriended the man, which is kind of a, so. But what I find very interesting about this is that now the guy is being held accountable for stuff that he said on Facebook. That's uh, that's interesting. You know what I mean? Before, you know, I'd never had any thought that this would he would be like a department head in city government. I don't know that much about him. But. Now, you got to be careful what you say, you know? Yeah, because the f- past events are now shaping future possibilities yeah, in city government. Right. What if it was, you know, and I don't know that this is going to derail the man, but a lot of people have had to take down uh, posts. Uh, T.J. Nelson, the, the, the uh, mayor's deputy chief of staff, he took down a bunch of posts because, you know, he's a guy who worked in partisan politics and, you know, some of his comments were pointed. And then you get into a kind of a nonpartisan service job. And then that doesn't look so good. You know what I mean? It's still political, but it's nonpartisan. You have no idea how many times I have started <laughs> a, a post on social media. And I had to say, no, yep. stop. Don't do it. Just what what will this this is will will do nothing no. to help the discussion. No, every once in a while, I will. I mean, I, I'm on on the social medias a lot. I, it's it's been part of my uh, job and my persona for a long time. And uh, I used to write a lot more. Uh, you know, sort of opinion. I, I obviously I'm in the opinion business to a certain degree, right? And so me posting on Facebook something that's my opinion is not 
that big a deal. But Eve, I ha- I'm very careful about not being, you know, vitriolic. And a lot of people aren't, <laughs> you know. Uh, and I think that people really need to take that into consideration because you just never know when something you posted on Facebook, somebody will come back and say, well, that just wasn't very nice. You know what I mean? And if you if you're going for a job or you're meeting new people, what happened? You want to be known as not a nice person. And if you say, well, it was, you know, social media, it doesn't matter, you know? And, and the more you, the more the social media conglomeration continues, more and more people become kind of public personas in their own little mm-hmm. world mm-hmm. because of it. Oh, that's and, right. And who, you know, just well, for example, our friend Jenny Mac. Oh yeah, that and, was going to be my example too. Yeah. So and and it's you know that's that's very telling that she would be one that would pop in as as someone who may not actually have she has her own platform mm-hmm. and and she has a following. Yep. She but she, she has, has a persona unto itself in social media than her real personality, which you know everybody's different, you know than they really are online, but. Yeah, she's built an entire persona. And, you know, Mr. Reisdorfer, uh, from what I could tell, I haven't gone back to look at his stuff. He's pretty prolific. So now, does all that come into play? Does everything he ever said on social media come into play? Because he's got to be approved by the council. If someone wanted to dig down deep enough to find something, they could. Yeah, and there are people who will do that. Some of the people have been on the show. <laughs> <laughs> from time to time. I have a person in mind, but I'm going to <laughs> not name him right, at this that's time. That's right. Uh, so it's, it's I, I find this very curious. Now, I don't know that this will cause any problems, but uh, Teresa's very upset. Um, she was upset. at the, Now, I will say this, full disclosure, she has deleted some of my comments that I thought was where I was just trying to make a point. Uh, and she she took things as being more uh, maybe personal or pointed than, than I, than I meant them. Okay. And that's fine. I d- it didn't bother me, but it surprised me, but that's the lesson. It's like, y- y- even when you're trying to say something, you have to be very careful because people take things the wrong way. They, they misinterpret them or you don't write it properly. And what you say isn't what you meant. And so who knows what comes out of this? I don't, I don't know. So we're gonna have Teresa on on Monday. We're going to talk about it. Um, and I'll bring up the fact that she deleted my comments, which were perfectly benign, but she didn't unfriend me. So it didn't get that bad. And she is willing to come on and be in close proximity with you. Generally. Yes. Generally. There have been times where she hasn't wanted to be in close proximity to me, but that's fine. A couple times in particular I can think of, but that's all right. Uh, anyway, that's, I just want to let you know about that. I, I've, I, I find it fascinating. It's a, uh, you have to be very careful, people. It's not, it's just not you in there, and things can come back to haunt you. You have a right to say it, but there are consequences yeah. for the things that you say. That's right. We've got a great show for you today. Uh, it's speaking of your rights, Libby Screen, of the, who is the public policy director for the ACLU of South Dakota. We have Libby on about once a month, and we talk about the issues facing our civil rights, your individual rights and the broader sort of political landscape, and she's a, she's a great guest. I will say this about when Libby's on. Uh, we start fast, and we speed up, because she and I are both fast talkers. So you're going to want to hold on to your hat right there. The common man is back. He had just returned from a pilgrimage to Lambeau, his annual pilgrimage to Lambeau, and we'll get an update on that. And I'll have a P&L statement just after the next break. Today's topic, hurricane politics. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000, KSOO. Twenty on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. We're going to try and get a little closer to free with my friends, the Bodines, for the PNL statement when we look through the news and find the things that give us great hope for the world or dash any hope for continued existence of mankind. 
it's not that severe today. But, you know, those are the things we look for, you know, because why go, why look for little things? Let's go big. Let's go right to the El Presidente. All right. And I talked about this uh, yesterday, the day before. I can't remember. It was yesterday. So uh, the president, okay, and the Twitter in Puerto Rico, he's, he just can't accept that this many people were killed in that, in that hurricane in Puerto Rico. And I don't, it was Hurricane Maria. And so here's a story today from the New York Times. It's all over. Rejecting Puerto Rican death toll, Trump accuses Democrats of inflating it. President Trump on Thursday falsely accused Democrats of inflating the death toll from Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico last year, rejecting that government's assessment of the storm that the storm had claimed nearly 3,000 lives. Mr. Trump said the toll was only 6 to 18 dead after his visit following the storm, but that was at a time when the estimate of fatalities was changing. It rose to 34 hours in the hours after the president left the island. Mr. Trump on Thursday said Democrats padded the death toll by including, for example, a person who died of old age, quote, in order to make me look as bad as possible. A couple of tweets here from the president, and, uh, you know, maybe most of you folks have seen them, but 3,000 people did not die in the two hurricanes that hit Puerto Rico. When I left the island after the storm had hit, they had anywhere from 6 to 18 deaths. As time went by, it did not go up by much. Then a long time later, they started to report really large numbers like 3,000. This was done by the Democrats in order to make me look as bad as possible when I successfully raising billions of dollars to help rebuild Puerto Rico. If a person died for any reason, like old age, just add them to the list. Bad politics. I love Puerto Rico. Oh, my God. So, but here's the deal, okay? Puerto Rico, as we know, is part of the United States, right? It's not a state, but the people who live there are Americans. Let's let's just get that out there right away. The death toll rose because of the absolute chaos on the ground. No, I mean, the people still didn't have power there, some people, till last August, last month. Months and months and months without power. And he's like, well, we did a great job. You know, it's a very isolated place. Uh, it's tough, tough to get down there. Well, sure. But the death toll rose because they kept finding dead people. Not, oh, every old person who died after Maria got thrown into the bucket. That's, no. I don't, I just don't understand this because it's not that hard to just be a decent human being. And have a little bit of empathy for the people who died. Instead of quibbling over a number, just say, what a horrible situation. We did the best we could. It was really hard to get in there and get everything. What we have to do is we have to work on the infrastructure in Puerto Rico to make sure that the next time something like this happens, we're able to repair the damage. Let's modernize Puerto Rico. Let's make it better. For the Americans who live there. Instead, we're going to blame the Democrats. But that's not leadership. Nobody's blaming Donald Trump for the people being dead. But that's the way he takes it. That's the way he takes everything because it's all about Donald Trump. Have a, just a shred of human decency. Even even the Republicans, you know, they don't even believe this crap coming out of his mouth. This is uh, uh, Representative Elena Ross Lentinian, a Republican, a retiring Miami Republican, said on Thursday, there's evidence, truthful facts that there have been a number of deaths. No one is distorting the truth. It might be a new low, she said, of the president's false claim about the Puerto Rican death toll, adding that only a warped mind would turn this into a statistic into fake news about himself. Exactly. Senator Marco Rubio, these days, even tragedy becomes political. Uh, he said on Twitter, I mean, it's just, we should all be focused on what is about to happen in the Carolinas, not politicize hurricanes and hurricane relief. Uh, you know, come on. He's given himself an A plus friend of mine called me last night and said, who's grading this? Is there a teacher there? No. It's just Donald Trump's mind. Everything has to be him being great. And I don't care about your politics, really. I really don't care. But be a decent human being. Say something about the poor people 
who died in the hurricane. Whether you think it's 30 or 3,000, say something nice about the dead people. And do something to try and make sure that the next time a hurricane hits these Americans living on an island, that we've done everything we can to give them the best chance of surviving. That's what leadership is. It's not pointing the finger and blaming other people. That is living below the line of accountability. It's not leadership. It's not even being a good coworker. And it certainly isn't being a good person. Try to be a little bit better person tomorrow than you were today. That's all I'm asking. Quit spewing crap on Twitter that you don't know is true or not. Most of which turns out to not be true. You're just making up stuff now. You're doing damage to the people who work for you. You're doing damage to the Republican Party. You're doing damage to the country. And I don't care who's out there who doesn't want to deal with these facts. But these are the facts. These are the facts. And if you don't want to believe those facts, I don't, I don't, there's nothing I can do for you. And there's nothing anybody can do for you. You're going to live in your own little dream world. That's the bottom line on today's PL statement. Agree or disagree with me, you can email me, patrick at kso.com. Send, uh, you can get us on Twitter, at Show, where Dan is manning the Twitter machine. Speaking of Dan, he's got the news and weather next, and then we'll be right back with the common man on Weird Friends. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Well, I rode into town on a crippled horse, got fired from a cattle drag up north. The ropes of the gallows was swinging in the breeze. All the wanted posters had pictures of me. I got Michael 45 right by my side. 335 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO, and we welcome back from the great land of cheese, the common man and weird friends. Common, how you feeling, buddy? You, you a few pounds heavier after your trip? Oh, my goodness, those people. <laughs> now, uh, tell the good people uh, where from which you have just returned. Well, it did. This, we took a grand tour. We left on Friday to go to the Sunday night Green Bay Packers-Chicago Bears game mm-hmm. in Lambeau Field. On Green the Bay. frozen tundra of Lambeau Field. Exactly. You didn't get the John Pacenda voice. Everything. But, uh, and we stopped at first in La Crosse, Wisconsin. So yeah. on Friday night we stopped there. And I don't know if you know much about La Crosse, Wisconsin. A little Wisconsin. bit. A little bit. World's largest six pack is there, <laughs> and I don't know. Have you have you seen? Yes, it's okay, the, so it's it, a grain elevator painted like well, a six they're, pack. Well, yeah, they're elevators, but they're arranged just like a six pack, and they're painted like beer cans. Mm-hmm. So they're like sixty feet high, <laughs> yeah. each of them. But it's symbolic. Well, it, it, it is attached to the brewery, so they're they're painted like beer cans, like uh, it's now Lacroix, which used to be they used to be old style cans back in the old days. Mm, old and, style. So the, the, the sign on them says, if you had a six-pack of beer and drank a six-pack of beer every day mm-hmm. in order to empty one of those mm-hmm. cans, you'd have to have one every day for 3,300 years. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of beer, dude. And it just, and, and it just gets mentioned kind of nonchalantly in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Well, you better get cracking. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, it's like, wow. Well, what if I did... Twelve beers a day. You know, it's like yeah. it almost seems like they think it's feasible. <laughs> yeah, they're like doing the math, and you know, frankly, it's Wisconsin. They're not great at math, so <laughs> I don't know why I, that does. Yeah, I well, love Wisconsin. Well, yes, well, what the what the dig? That's that's, that's not fair. Now you are uh, you're very familiar with these people because uh, you while you were born in the great the best little city in America, mm-hmm. you spent many of your formative years uh, over on the border over there, right? Red Wing. 
Yes, right on the border between Red Wing and Red Wing, which is on the Mississippi, right across from Wisconsin. There, so in about forty miles south of the Twin Cities, it's it's a heck of a place to because you know you really get whipsawed between in the rivalry there, and mm-hmm. it's it's you know it's it's quite ugly. And and when I was growing up, as you know, the Packers have had a nice run of success, but when I was growing up, when we watched Monday Night Football and Howard Cosell did the halftime highlights. I was pretty certain until I was about nine years old that the name of the Packers was the Hapless Packers. <laughs> because every time Cosell did it, he goes, the Hapless Packers fall 33 to nothing to the Cowboys. So I was like, oh, the, gosh, and the Hapless Packers. Uh, that's funny. So you, but you are, uh, your whole family, you mm-hmm. guys are Green Bay Packer fans, mm-hmm. uh, despite your proximity to the Twin Cities. And so you've lived with that your whole life. So, but every year, pretty much, right, you make a pilgrimage. Yep. And uh, you got to see, there it is. The Green Bay Packets. It's just funny how everything stops while the music going. Because <laughs> oh, we want to hear that. That's right. No, no adult male will, will no. talk over that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, it's just it's like your tongue falls out of your head. Oh, but my God. It, 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 it really was something, too, Patrick, because, you know, going to the game, and the place is, you know, it's the Packers' 100-season anniversary. Oh, geez. We're starting with the Bears. 197 ah, times you played the Bears. And so here we go. And this is, the Bears fans are, are showing up there. You know, they're feeling pretty frisky this year. And the first half, the Packers go out and just put a giant egg on the field. Mm-hmm. You've never seen so many angry, irritated disgruntled cans of old style thrown in, in disgust. <laughs> and it was quite, but, and, but then when, as soon as the Packers scored the first touchdown uh, mm-hmm. in the middle of the third quarter, Rogers scores the touchdown. Every bear fan in that place. And there was one guy sitting right and directly in front of me. Yeah. He just, he just knew. <laughs> he knew. Yeah, I was like, Oh, come on. I said, well, it's one touchdown. Even I wasn't all that excited. I thought, well, I'm going to make it look good. Mm-hmm. And he goes, they're going to win. <laughs> I go, that is hard bitten. That <laughs> is hard bitten. I go, well, come on, dude. We're not even good. No, it's over. <laughs> he drove all the way up from Chicago. Well, maybe he didn't. He probably lives in Green Bay or in the area, and he's he's stuck up there, and he's re- he retained his bear ship, and he, he just can't take it. Oh, I'm sh- I'm sure he says he's from Chicago, like everybody from Chicago. <laughs> you know, everybody within 200 miles of Chicago says, yeah, I'm from Chicago. No, yeah, you're not. No, you're not. You're from, you're from uh, you know, uh, let's see, Northbrook. That's where you're from. <laughs> exactly. So this poor guy, you know, one of the great stories about sports that I ever read, though, was about the uh, a Packer-Bear game, and I think it was at, at Soldier Field, the old Soldier Field, and just how bitter and ugly the rivalry was. And at one point, all I remember really is at one point in this story that I think was in the Twin Cities reader, there's a guy gets rolled down the steps of Soldier Field in his Packer gear, and and he's on fire. <laughs> so that's how bad things can get between Ooh. the Packers and Bears. That might have been just an unfortunate ever-clearance. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. So the Packers came back and uh, miraculously won that football game. Oh, you know, and you could just sense that everybody was so, they were so excited. But by the time the Sunday night game gets over, it's 11, it's 11 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just, people are just like, yeah, oh, God, i got to get up for work tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> or they don't. No, they don't. I mean, I can't imagine what absenteeism was the next day. But, but you know, even traveling to Green, you know, because normally you go to a, a professional sporting event, mm-hmm. you know, and you're from here, you go, oh, you know, going to the big city to, you know, mm-hmm. you know and so you, as you travel, you're getting your anticipation builds because you get closer and closer to this big, booming metropolis. Mm-hmm. You go to a Packer game. It's like, well, I'm driving. I'm becoming further and further remote. <laughs> yeah, I am a- no longer on a four-lane road. <laughs> no, there is there is no good way to drive from here to Green Bay. There, it does not exist. No, you, you are going to be. Uh, you're guaranteed going to be lost at some point at a T intersection, uh, surrounded by trees and uh, a sign that says. Uh, you know, County Road 42 and County P-P. Road 89. Yeah, <laughs> PP. And you're like, where the hell am I? Uh, it, it's children of the corn out there. I mean, it's like, what, 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 how? Where, nowhere do I go. 
<laughs> so yeah, I'll just keep going west. You know, but it it is weird, and, and so you get there, then there's this giant stadium, and Steve Miller played the concert the night before, a free concert. Really? Yeah, there was like thirty thousand people in the in the in the parking lot for Steve Miller. Did you go? Oh yeah, oh, oh okay. yeah. Oh, sure. Steve, you did the whole thing then. Steve was still, you know, space cowboying it up. It yeah. was good. It is weird though. That it's gotten, and I, I have been there over the over like twenty five, maybe thirty years. The first time I went there versus now, it is, and I've never been into a football game, just to the stadium. It is a really a completely different place. And the neighborhood has changed because they tore down a bunch of houses to make parking and all that. Mm-hmm. It, but it's still in the middle of, it's like, it's like if it was oh, in yeah. the There's middle houses of across uh, the street from the stadium. East Sioux Falls, you yep. know, it, it's really a strange experience. Yeah, it's just if you're at Lambeau Field and you're looking across, like what would basically be, you know, Lombardi Avenue is basically Russell. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And there's, right. there's somebody's house in the backyard grilling out <laughs> 200, you know, well, 150 yards from Lambeau Field. I did hear something interesting, though. I think I read this in the Green Bay paper. It was, um, there's big concerns because those houses around there have all been purchased by like companies mm, and yep. groups of people, and they only use them for Packer games. And then. They basically sit empty the rest of the day. <laughs> it seems like it. It's a strange, it's a strange, strange phenomenon. Uh, uh, common man, you can hang on for just a minute, right? Sure. Awesome. We're going to come right back and talk more about Wisconsin with the common man here on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000, KSOO. We weren't even supposed to be there. It was just another run. Took a detour across the river, make it back home before dawn. 348 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO, and we're chatting with the common man on Weird Friends and uh, kind of rehashing his uh, great trip to Wisconsin. Um, is it everything okay over there in Wisconsin? Other than that, the, the people are all right? They're still, you know, You know what's really happy? funny about, about the state is they're having this big, big brouhaha in the state. I mean, there was planes flying, you know, pulling pulling banners and stuff about their big issue is is that uh, Scott Walker is, is the roads in Wisconsin mm-hmm. apparently are just terrible, mm-hmm. just awful. And, you know, drove over a pretty good chunk of us. I'm like, wow, you guys, I mean, you really should come to South Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> you guys got it pretty good. Yeah, uh, they have know. fantastic roads in Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, but they're just like, oh, it's just horrible, horrible. It was just, you know, if we're just just junk, they gotta throw this guy out. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> you apparently have never driven down Minnesota Avenue in January. <laughs> no, I, I, it's amazing to me. I, uh, because they, he said the other day, I talked about on the show that some people want to spend billions and billions of dollars just to make the roads wider, and so, the, and we're not going to do that. Just raise the gas tax, and so there's a, yeah, there's a big fight. Big fight over there in Wisconsin. Well, that that and it's like there was an article in the paper that's they were complaining because you know the, the city hadn't got the painting the fire hydrants that year. <laughs> and you're like, it's like what in in my home my hometown of Red Wing where I grew up the fire hydrants would get painted every year you know different colors it'd be a different scheme. Oh really? Every, oh God! And it's like wow this uh, this whole like, concept of public works really really. <laughs> Didn't translate well to the West. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Like, how about yellow? And how about that's going to be ten that years. coat of paint for about 10, 15 years? How's that sound? <laughs> and it'll be fine. And it'll be fine. <laughs> God. Yeah, it's like, wow, it's a, you know, I guess Wisconsin problems, I guess. Yeah, but then, exactly. But, but I did notice, too, that, uh, that boy, boy, have we gotten soft as a, as a football sport attending public. Yeah. I mean, I, I went to the, like the tailgate. We ducked into one of the breweries, and, here, and on the menu, mm-hmm. at you know, placed hundred feet. This is Lambeau Field, right? They had shrimp and faux. Say it for me. Foie gras, foie gras dumplings, <laughs> kung pao veal sweetbreads, <laughs> and roasted duck livers. I'm just. I said, what in the name of Vince Lombardi is going on out here? Where are the brats? Where are the brats? Jeez. I want I want a brat. I want a pickled egg. <laughs> <laughs> I want something that somebody made that they, of something that they shot. 
<laughs> Preferably <laughs> pickled. I want to wash it down with some cheap beer. Yeah, and I want to go to see a football game. Yeah, and go see a football game for mm-hmm. guts. And it's just unbelievable. And then you, somebody will come up behind you and say, um, "What are your IPAs?" Oh my! God. You just you know that's that's just that's just when you want to go all John Belushi in Animal House. Yeah, yeah and just take right. the guitar. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that would be good. So no, it is football season, though. It's your it's you know this is you're right in your element right now, right? This is well, good. yeah, it's it, it is, and it, but I think it's 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 a wonder though because I think the old and from the days in the sixties when you, you, know, you guys would show up with fedoras and they'd smoke cigarettes. <laughs> And it was a, you know, it was like the the line from uh, "It's a Wonderful Life." We serve hard drinks who, for men who want to get drunk fast. You know, <laughs> that's right. It's, it's, it's the, but you know, the, now the, the, with the influx of female fans, mm-hmm. you know, the game has got become much more civilized on the outs. But they also start the most fights. That's the, <laughs> I mean, you know, you get you get the, the ladies with oh, a couple man. beers in the parking lot. Year team sucks. <laughs> well, remember when the Vikings went to uh, Philly for that playoff game? <laughs> Oh yeah. my God! <laughs> and, you know, guys, just you know, this is a generalization, so sue me. But you don't see guys not not as much. And then, and of course, there's always dinglings everywhere. But you don't see guys with the chirping as much. Man, the lady fans! Holy <laughs> buckets! And then they go. Then they, as soon as they say something, and everybody gets mad. They turn around and walk away. <laughs> and it's all the all the dumb guys fighting because somebody said something mean to their wife. That's exactly it. You know, the other thing about Lambeau that I remember that, that that proved at the time, and I think this has changed how you know hard everybody was, they just had the buckets out in the uh, <laughs> the barrels out in the parking lot for your coals, the hot coals, you know, and so then everybody would, you know, huddle up around the barrels for warmth. Oh, now, and then the now best people part is bring people, a, yeah, they'd now want to use them after the game, so they'd put them under their car, yeah. and they'd, they'd come out and their car would be on fire. <laughs> At I least two of those that. every time you left the stadium. Oh, that's good. Now there's just people with, uh, you know, big mobile homes and space oh. heaters. and yeah. You can't believe how geeked out that some of that stuff. You're just like, well, you know, we come to this, we take the RV to all the games, and it's like, wow, <laughs> I, have a, I have the wrong job. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, right. I am not doing something right. You have a $100,000 RV just to go to eight football games. Oh, yeah, we love to go to the Packer games. Well, I do too, but you know, <laughs> I, I had to donate a kidney to do yeah. this. <laughs> hey, and the, yeah, just for the tickets. Are you, uh, but uh, you're, you're back this weekend, you're in? Well, yeah. okay. you know, well, you know, we got to go down and play the 8-inch cup tournament. You're familiar. Yep. Oh, that's, in, that's right. Well, good luck with that. Well, I guess it's, uh, that's like I say, i, I got to go get drunk in a whole different state now. <laughs> And you're on a tour. Canvassing the Midwest. Yeah. Well, have fun with that, and I'll talk to you next week. Okay. Sounds good, Patrick. Coming up after the break here at the top of the hour, we've got Libby Screen from the ACLU of South Dakota. We're going to talk about all of your civil and individual rights. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000, KSOO. Fifty-eight on the Patrick Lally Show. Information one thousand KSOO. Remember, everybody, that now through September thirtieth, it's the Great American Milk Drive. One in four children go hungry. Milk is an essential part of a child's diet. The next time you're checking out your groceries at any Sioux Falls Hy-Vee, tell them you would like to donate either a half gallon or a full gallon of milk to the Great American Milk Drive. Your donations help feeding South Dakota and provide milk to kids in your neighborhood who can't afford it. For more information on this event or any event, go to the calendar at KSO.com. Coming up in the second hour of the program, for the hour, Libby Screen. She is the policy director for ACLU of South Dakota. We always have a good time and informative hour talking with Libby about your rights and issues of the day. That's all coming up on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOL. And there's a waitress with a sweet tattoo. She's gorgeous and in love with you. Uh-huh. But you don't really care 
407 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. And I am, as always, very happy to have back in the studio with us today, Libby Screen. She is Policy Director for the ACLU of South Dakota. Libby, welcome back. Thank you for having me again. Um, and we, we, you know, we try and have you back about once a month because there's so much going on, and and you're very well informed on on the issues of the day, uh, as in terms of uh, uh, civil rights, civil liberties, and uh, individual freedom. Uh, and then also, you talk really fast. <laughs> Two things in my favor. Yep, and uh, <laughs> that's that's always a sign of a good guest. On um, from from my standpoint, my mom would disagree, but. She thinks everybody's got to slow down a yeah, little bit. Yeah, she thinks I talk too so, fast. So does my mom. Maybe it's a mom thing. You know, my mom's probably listening, so I'll probably get in trouble. <laughs> Mine isn't. Oh, okay. No offense. <laughs> and, uh, you know, frankly, I I am not, I I don't have that, you know, professional polished radio, you know what I'm saying? Sure, I came, yeah. I came from a the different world. The announcer voice, yeah. Yeah, well. yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speed it up just to cover up my mistakes. So, yeah, <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> uh, anyway, you have been very busy. It's election season. And uh, we've talked a little bit about this before. You've uh, uh, the ACLU uh, is growing in South Dakota because of a lot of reasons, and you guys have become uh, maybe more active in terms of education during the electoral process, right? Yes, absolutely. We have definitely um, gotten out of our office and into communities more and more, especially around our Smart Justice campaign, in which we're focusing on criminal justice issues in South Dakota to inform the public and candidates running for office um, what we think good criminal justice policy looks like. And how's that going for you so far? It's going really well. Um, last week, last Thursday, we launched our um, Smart Justice campaign parties. We had a flagship party in Madison, South Dakota, and we live Hey, if you're going to have a flagship party, Madison's your town. I know. It was great. Um, we broadcast uh, on Facebook some information about our campaign, our campaign briefing. Um, at the same time, there were parties hosted uh, here in Sioux Falls. There was one in Pierre, and there were two in Vermilion. And the one on USD's campus actually got about 70 people there, which two is fantastic. Two in Vermilion? Yeah, we had a private one um, uh, and a public one. I see. One for underage, one for overage. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, we would. that's not the way it works. Uh, so you're, you're well underway. It is, you're, you're deep in the uh, 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 heat of the uh, campaign season now. Um, and and what, what is your message overall uh, in terms of criminal? And we'll get into the AG part of this okay. in just a minute. But overall, what is your, what is your message for uh, voters out there in terms of uh, what what questions you want them to get answered from candidates in terms of positions and that sort of thing. Do you have, are you giving them a guide? Are you, wh- what do you want them to say and think? Yeah, so we um, are doing a number of things to inform voters and to encourage them to think about the criminal justice system and the role it plays, um, think about their own views on the criminal justice system and implement that into the candidates that they decide to vote for. Um, one of the things that we've done on the more general voting rights scheme is that we've put together a brochure for people to be informed about their voting rights in South Dakota, everything they need to know in terms of getting registered, Um, all the way up to problems they might face at the polls on Election Day. We've also translated that into Spanish, and now we have copies of that in Braille. Um, So if anyone listening wants a copy, you can find those on our website, aclusd.org, or shoot us an email at southdakota at aclu.org, and we'll get you one. And uh, aren't you doing questionnaires? Yeah. Yep. So we um, sent out candidate questionnaires. Um, We have the deadline to respond to those has passed. Randy Seiler, the Democratic candidate for attorney general, filled out his questionnaire and returned it to us. Uh, Jason Roundsburg opted not to. So we're using the information that Randy has provided to us to inform our members about where he stands on the issues. Mm -hmm. And so if you go to your site and there's Roundsburg, there's just nothing or do you compile? Yeah. So we've actually put together um, a brochure that we'll be mailing out to all of our members. It's like our first ever member mailing that has our voting rights brochure, Mm -hmm. our candidate questionnaire. Um, And we actually kind of went back and forth about how we should handle the non-response. Ultimately, we decided to put Randy Seiler's answers on the brochure and just indicate that uh, Jason Roundsburg did not respond. Did you get any indication from the Roundsburg campaign about why they didn't respond? No. Um, we reached out several times through various formats to try to get in touch with them. Um, you know, I think it's a missed opportunity that he didn't respond. You know, this questionnaire that we sent out was not trying to back anyone into a corner. We just simply want to know where the candidates stand on the issues that are facing our criminal justice system and to have the opportunity to do that in a way that's a little bit more um, nuanced and long form rather than just a soundbite here or there or an interview in a a local newspaper. Um, so we don't know why he didn't respond. Um, 
I think what kind of questions are you were you looking for in terms of the AG? Yeah, so we um, wanted to know quite a few things. Um, some of them were pretty basic. Um, the beginning of the questionnaire was just talking about things like what would your top three priorities be as South Dakota's next attorney general. That's pretty, you know. Pretty basic, right? Yeah. Um, how do you think the success of the attorney general and his or her staff should be measured? Um, whether as a candidate and eventually as the attorney general, if you'd advocate for elimination of mandatory minimum sentences, how you feel about drug court programs, um, what you think about the racial disparities in the criminal justice system in South Dakota and how you'd plan on fighting back on those mm-hmm. or, or working on that issue um, and whether you'd pledge to publish, excuse me, publish policies regarding prosecution guidelines and just generally be transparent as an attorney general. And do you think that, I mean, those are reflective of your priorities. Of so course, of course. It, do you think that it, without trying to put any motive behind Mr. Roundsburg, but that perhaps he sees the ACLU as somebody, uh, as an organization that doesn't support him anyway, and why would he want to spend the time and give you that information if you're not going to support it? Yeah, I mean, I certainly I certainly see that um, as a possibility. You know, sometimes people scoff when we say that we are nonpartisan and we aren't going to endorse a candidate or a party. Um, and, you know, people can react like that, but we take that really seriously. Um, we just want to know where candidates stand on these issues um, that, from our perspective, haven't taken up enough of the public discussion, despite being such a big part of our government. Um, and we were not trying to lead a candidate in any way Way, but rather find out what they really think um, in a specific way and what their plans are for the system. And it, like as you say, it's a big part of our government. It's a big part of our budget. It's a huge part. And jails are very expensive and courts are very expensive. Absolutely. And the AG has a lot to do with that, mm-hmm. right, in terms of policies and where we're going. Um, and when, when people do say that to you about um, whether they think you're a, you know, uh, uh, a mouthpiece for the Democratic Party, Mm-hmm. I mean, what's because I don't see that, but what's your response? Um, I mean, I, I would say the proof is in the pudding. Look at our work that we've done in the past. Um, take note of the fact that we are not afraid to call out people because of their political party. We've sued every single president that we've had since our organization has founded, and we'll keep doing that. You know, I think that the thing that drew me to this organization and the reason I like this work so much is because we really focus on principles and not parties and not specific politicians or advancing their agenda. We care about the Constitution and we care about um, guaranteeing rights for everyone in this country. We're going to come right back and talk more with Libby Screen. (laughs) Every time. Every time. Libby Screen, she is the policy director for the ACLU of South Dakota. Right after this short break, this is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000. K-S-O-O. Four twenty on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO, and we are continuing our conversation with Libby Screen. She is the policy director for the ACLU of South Dakota, and we've been talking about their efforts to educate you, the public, the voters, the electorate, on issues of criminal justice that are before us in the November election. And at the top of that list, of course, is the attorney general's race between Republican Jason Roundsburg and Democrat Randy Seiler. So Mr. Seiler has contributed his his policies. Uh, Mr. Roundsburg has chosen not to, and that's on him. Yes. Um, that's his decision. Um, what did you make of Mr. Seiler's answers? Are you... Do you have a value judgment? Do you have an interpretation of them that would provide us with some guidance at all? Um, you know, I think I think that in his responses, he was very thoughtful, um, and I appreciate that he really kind of took the time to dig in and actually answer the questions in sort of a long, long format way. Long, long format. He is a former acting U.S. attorney. Yes, yes, <laughs> and and you know, my attorney's heart really appreciates that that kind of <laughs> yeah. nuance and that explanation. Um, so yeah, I think that we got some good answers from him and I'm thankful that, that he opted to fill those out. Um, in, in general, how would you characterize his position on, on, uh, criminal justice issues, uh, incarceration issues, the, the things that the ACLU of South Dakota thinks are important in this race? I think they're pretty good. Um, and I think we're also encouraged by the fact that he clearly 
has such a breadth of experience and understands these issues um, in a very nuanced way. And I think that that's a big credit to him. And as a candidate, I think that that is something that voters should pay attention to across the board, whether we're talking about the attorney general's race or any other race, is sort of the expertise that the that the candidate is bringing to the job um, and the expert the the perspective, I guess, that comes from that expertise. Um, and as you go forward, uh, are you going to do, what are you going to do with it? You're going to send it out to your mailing list, mm-hmm. your mm-hmm. membership, which is how many now? Oh gosh, I think we're at about 4,000-ish. I mean, not bad for a state with less than a million people in it. Yeah, so you're feeling pretty good about that, and that's grown appreciably. Yes, And what is. are you asking your members to do with that information? Are they going to take that and disperse it further, or is it just purely for their own edification? Um, I mean, we want them to be informed, and we also want them to feel like they are informed to the point where they can have conversations about the candidates and if they get the opportunity with the candidates um, to ask questions, to talk to their neighbors and friends, and really to elevate the role of the criminal justice system and the role of the attorney general into more of the public consciousness and the public debate. That's because the attorney general sometimes does get kind of, I mean, it's not a quiet job, certainly, but it, it, it you end up having this image of just being uh, the state's prosecutor. Right, or just this lawyer that's, you know, in a back room somewhere writing on le- writing legal briefs and staying up till three in the morning to get ready to argue in court. Um, you know, and that's obviously part of the job, but it's not all of the job. And I think that the attorney general has such a unique role in sort of setting the tone of incarceration and the way we treat criminal justice issues in our state, and that deserves more attention um, than it's gotten in the past. And it's uh, a little odd. Because you've got two, it's an open seat. Marty Jackley is moving on uh, after his uh, a bid for governor. And um, Mr. Seiler and Mr. Roundsburg are, I mean, I would say they're both pretty unknown people. Um, you would expect more high-profile campaign. There's one debate? Isn't that what you told me? Um, yes. So I th- we know of one debate scheduled for the attorney general's race that both candidates have accepted. Um, that one, I think, is scheduled for October 11th, and it'll be on SDPB. And if that's the only debate, that's kind of <laughs> odd, isn't it? I, I think it's odd, and um, I think that would be unfortunate. Uh, you know, there are so many things that the attorney general works on, both in, in the civil realm and in the criminal justice realm. I think that there are issues of transparency um, and accountability that have been sort of percolating in the state over the past few years. And I think that now more than ever, it's really important for candidates to be willing to get out and debate these issues and to talk about issues and really be responsive to people who are interested in this race and to the people who might be their constituents. And it is a, a rare opportunity for us in South Dakota because we have not had competitive attorney general races for many, many cycles. And so they just the, the issues by nature just don't get debated that much. Absolutely. And I mean, we're talking about the attorney general. These people are both lawyers, right? Lawyers should be up for a good debate. If you want to represent our state in court, if you want to argue for South Dakota in front of the Supreme Court, you should be willing to get up on a stage or host a town hall and debate. Um, you know, I know that one of the things that's coming up outside of the formal debate um, on SDPB is that the Sioux Falls Downtown Rotary, I saw on Facebook, um, Randy Seiler had put on his Facebook page that the Rotary announced that uh, Jason Roundsburg declined an invitation to debate in front of the Rotary members. Oh, um, man, that's a that's a powerful group. Too. I know. I know. So I, I think my understanding of the situation is that what they're going to do is instead just have a forum um, with Randy Seiler instead of a formal debate, um, which I think is just a really big missed opportunity to hear the candidates discuss the differences and the similarities in their approach to the job. Yeah. From my perspective, I think uh, Mr. Roundsburg is making a mistake. Um you know, whether it's a political decision, thinking that Republicans, that because Republicans have such a, a voter registration advantage that, you know, sort of no news is good news for him. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's kind of another thing that's underlying our campaign is the idea that voters should choose the candidate that they think best represents them and should be willing to look beyond the party identification, regardless of whether that's a D or an R or an I, and really think about the candidates and what their actual positions are. Yeah, because if you're not going to go to debates and you're not going to participate in some of these, uh, it, how hard would it be to send out your policy uh, uh, positions? Uh, that's that's not 
necessarily informing voters in the way that we would like a good, healthy democracy to work. Absolutely. And I think it also it gives the advantage to people who have special access to candidates and to people who are actually elected. um, And that's not how our government should work. Uh, And I will just say personally, this is not Libby. (laughs) <laughs> you know, nobody knows who Jason Roundsburg is except for Republican insiders because he's been doing the Lincoln Day dinner circuit for so many years. He's got to get out there and inter- he he's fine. I, he could be a stand-up dude. I don't know. He might have great, I don't know. I don't know the guy. I think he needs to get out in front of the public, but that's just me, Jason. We'll be right back with Libby Screen after the news and weather with Mr. Dan Peters. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. 4.35 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. And yes, I that is the second time today I played that song. Uh, know Your Rights by The Clash. And I, I because I wanted to play it for our guest, Libby Screen, who is policy director for the ACLU. And uh, now they have a new theme song. It's perfect. Yeah. You should know your rights. You should know your rights. Now, The Clash may take a little bit different perspective on these things. <laughs> yes, yes than uh, the ACLU of South Dakota, but that's okay. That's Anytime you're on now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save that song for you. I'm all right with that. Cool. Dan, mark that down. Get that in the files. Done. Uh, we've been talking a lot about uh, local politics and the state attorney general's race and the issues before us in terms of criminal justice and uh, that sort of thing. You, you should probably state, because we've talked about this before, but you should restate sort of what it is that the ACLU is concerned about in terms of uh, the state's criminal justice policy. What do you want to have happen, regardless of a party candidate, whomever? Yeah, so I think um, one of our big uh, issues is that our criminal justice system, we keep doing the same things over and over and expecting different results. We keep locking people up and trying to incarcerate our way out of addiction and thinking that overly punitive measures are going to save us, and that hasn't worked um, over the past 40, 50, 60 years. And we think it's time for a better way forward, a way that really looks at the actual problems of crime and attempts to solve those instead of just punishing people. Um, So we want to see things like alternatives to incarceration. Um, We want to see our government um, and our policies reflect the fact that people of color are overrepresented in our system. Um, We want to end the era of tough on crime, war on drugs approaches to drugs um, and put in place programs that um, can prevent drug use and maybe more importantly actually treat drug use and drug addiction rather than thinking that locking people up will will solve it for us. So you really are just crazy knee-jerk liberals. <laughs> that's what they say. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's the way you get characterized, partly because of the stand on criminal justice sometimes. Uh, but that can also be an enlightened approach. And in fact, many Republicans and conservatives share that approach. Yeah. And I mean, it's a criminal justice reform is something that has sort of been going on. Discussions about it have been going on across the country, especially in the past five or so years. And I think that it's one of those issues that we've surprisingly seen a lot of um, agreement, regardless of whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. We can all see that what we've been doing, there are problems with it. And we can think about better ways to go forward um, for our communities to make them safer and also to save taxpayers money. And uh, uh, you... um now I lost it there for just a second. It's criminal. Ju- oh, there. Uh, to be fair, uh, there are some things that South Dakota is doing that you do like. Yes, yes, we do not hate everything. No, and in fact, were was started by a Republican Attorney General, Larry Long. A lot of these processes in terms of the uh, DUI courts, and mm-hmm. now they've become drug courts, or they become vet- veterans courts. All of these things are intended to keep people out of jail. Yeah, and I mean, there are things that we have done and continue to do that um, are working and that we like, and what we want to see is more of that. Yeah. Um, moving on from state issues, uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the Supreme Court nomination of uh, 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 Kavanaugh, Mr. Kavanaugh. Absolutely. Uh, Brett. Yes. Mr. Brett Kavanaugh. So um, I have to give my disclaimer, which is that we as the ACLU do not take a position on the nomination of any judges to any courts. um, But we do think it's important to look at the decisions um, that he as a judge has made in his career and um, talk about how those indicate how he might view individual rights and civil liberties. And he just sort of sets the stage. Obviously, he's he's seen as a very constructionist uh, judge out of the D.C. district and um, very conservative. 
he's highly thought of in terms of his intellect and his knowledge. He is uh, highly supported, highly supported. He is supported uh, vigorously and aggressively by the bar, mm-hmm. the, the, the National Bar Association. Um, he has a lot of supporters, um, and he has done, I think, reasonably well in his, his testimony. Uh, what, what does the ACLU, uh, when you look at his decisions, how do you, what do you take out of it in terms of uh, how he would perhaps, this is also speculative, but perhaps rule in terms of civil liberties? Yeah, so we have looked um, through his, his record, through his career and the decisions that he's issued and the votes that he's cast in major cases. Um, and on some issues, there's a pretty good record of, of how he views things. And on other issues, he just hasn't had much of an opportunity to take those on because of the cases that ended up in front of him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we know, for example, that he is a big proponent of executive power. Um, he's been really reluctant to enforce limits on the president or on the executive branch, especially in the context of national security or foreign affairs. And that is troublesome in terms of civil liberties because it it continues to consolidate power in the executive branch. And sometimes when we see uh, violations of uh, civil rights, it's by agencies that are yeah. part of the executive branch. Absolutely. And, I'm, and I mean... I think regardless, maybe this is the theme for today, regardless of whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, I don't think any of us want the government to have too much power. And Mm -hmm. if we aren't going to check our government, especially at the highest levels, they can get away with things that we the people do not want them to get away with. And in the post-9-11 era, it should be pointed out that both Bush and Obama did expand the role of uh, surveillance. For Absolutely. Um, surveillance and also just using the claim of national security as sort of a blanket justification mm-hmm. without any sort of factual analysis into, well, is this really necessary for national security or are we just using this as sort of a blanket to get away with things that we want to do as a government? Because we think something might be bad. Yes, yes. Or it plays well with the public. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think that's also a theme that we're seeing in the local races um, is this idea of fear and we're keeping you safe, so just trust us. Um, and our approach is don't trust the government. <laughs> I mean, sometimes they do great things, but they need to be checked. There needs to be a watchdog. Yeah. Don't, in, don't uh, just uh, blindly trust. There is no such, there should be no such thing as blind trust if you are an American. Exactly. It, that, is, that is antithetical to what we believe to what the Constitution grants us, the tools you are given, you are just turning your back on your own freedom. I agree. Well, we don't even need to. We just, <laughs> last 10 minutes of this program, we're just going to play music. No, I, <laughs> I'm kidding. I joke. Um, we're going to come right back, actually, and talk more with Libby Screen, Policy Director for the ACLU of South Dakota. We got, we're, we're not even done. We're not even close to being done. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000, KSOO. Four forty-six on the Patrick Lally Show, Information One Thousand KSOO, and we are chatting with Libby Screen. She is the policy director for ACLU of South Dakota, and the ACLU in the state is growing up to four thousand members now. From I mean, a few years ago, it was in the dozens, right? I mean, we're uh, talking down we, in the basement. Maybe we cracked a hundred back then. I don't know. <laughs> We've certainly grown. Yeah, you're growing a lot because. What and and why do you think that is? Are, are the do you think that the issues before us have changed? Is it the times that we live in in terms of uh, government intrusion in our lives? To what do you attribute that? Um, I think it's a lot of things. I think people, you know, especially since 2016, there there has been a lot more um, fervor, I think, around both federal issues and local issues and sort of a resurgence of people wanting to um, be informed and to get involved. And that has really translated into a lot of energy and a lot of people coming to us saying, we want to do more than just give you money. We want to actually help. We want to volunteer. We want to learn. And that's been great. So we've been able to do far more public education than we have before. And that's something that I really enjoy doing. And that translates to uh, uh, electoral politics. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where it can get, um, I won't say dicey, but difficult mm-hmm. because you don't want to be perceived as being partisan. Absolutely. And um, we've talked a little bit about that. So when you, you've got in this cycle, you're very active. Uh, have, have you been getting accused of being partisan or is it because you guys are still kind of new to the game are are the are the powers that be even paying attention to what you're doing um i think that 
they are to some extent paying attention to what we're doing. I think we've done a good job um, talking about the criminal justice issues. And I think that there has been not a ton of outside groups or non-governmental actors talking about criminal justice. So in that sense, I think we've been able to play kind of a unique role. Um, I also think talking about the attorney general's race in particular is a little more narrow in scope than talking about someone like a governor or, or a congressperson because the world of issues you're dealing with is a little bit smaller. And I think that has helped us avoid sort of appearing to be partisan. Yeah. Um, Are you doing the questionnaires and such in the other constitutional offices? No, no, just the just attorney general's the race. Yep, this is, we very intentionally chose this race as part of our smart justice work as, as the role or the elected official that has probably the most power over the criminal justice system. So uh, leading up to election day, what other kind, which is November 8th? 6th. First think. Tuesday of the month. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 6th. Uh, it's November 6th, um, and I always I get the whatever the last one was in my head. doesn't matter. <laughs> November 6th, uh, general election, midterm elections. It's a big dang deal. What else are you going to be doing leading up to that vote? Yeah, so we have um, we are kind of exploring election day activities in a way that we really haven't before. Um, so we're doing a couple things. First is we are going to be coordinating rides for people in the Sioux Falls area that do not have transportation to the polls. Um, that is open to anyone. You don't have to be an ACLU member. Um, nothing partisan going on. Um, that'll launch on our website on October first, and we can have people start to sign up for rides that day. Um, I think that'll be really great, and that's something we've never done before. Um, we're also hoping to um, set up volunteers outside of polling places, of course, 100 feet away from the door, um, with voting rights information for people who are going in and out of the polls who, who would want to take some of those. Um, we're also going to have a hotline with our staff attorney ready to answer the phone and take calls from people who are experiencing issues live in person on election day. So people being turned away? Or that don't understand, perhaps, if they don't have ID, how to do the affidavit. Absolutely. Uh, all of these types of issues. Do you do poll watching? No, we've never done that before. Um, it's something that, that we've considered. Um, we just haven't really had the capacity to do it before. Mm -hmm. And we also don't hear a ton of issues going on locally in terms of intimidation or the sort of traditional things or reasons that you would do poll watching. Yeah. And some of that is uh, done by other organizations in terms of the reservations. Yeah. And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the four, four, four wins. Four directions. Four directions. Four directions. Yeah. yeah. They do a lot of that work uh, and do it well. Yeah, absolutely. So that's not something. No need, need to, to, to duplicate efforts in, in that sense. Uh, so you've got uh, a lot going on up till that day. Um, in terms of the legislature, uh, are you doing, you're doing get people out, but are you getting involved in any legislative level conversation? Because this is where the decisions actually yeah, are. Yeah, not in, not in terms of sort of the electoral cycle, right. um, but after Election Day, we'll be shifting into sort of legislative mode because we'll have session coming up. Um, we're planning what we're informally calling an activist academy that we're hoping to sort of take on the road um, to have people come in and learn about the legislative process, learn about how to get involved and how to make their voices heard. Um, right now, none of this is official yet, <laughs> but we're planning one in Sioux Falls, hoping to do one in Pierre and hoping to do one in Rapid City as well. And what would happen at these things? Um, so we would want to inform people just generally about how the legislature works, what the process is. You know, first a bill goes to this committee. Mm -hmm. And so if you really want to make an impact, you want to show up and testify or you want to send letters to your representatives before that first vote and right. sort of explain the process and the points at which people can make an impact um, and then just teach them a little bit about how to make their voices heard. Because we hear from a lot of people that, you know, oh, well, I want to get involved or I want to reach out to my legislator, but I'm terrified to call them or I don't know what to say in an email. Um, a lot of times I think people have this perception that they have to come armed with legal arguments and facts. And that's not really what legislators want to hear from their no, constituents. They, they want just to hear, want to hear real people. Yeah, real people, what's going on in their lives and why they care about the issues. Um, and you can really see a light bulb moment, I think, sometimes with people when you explain it that way and they're like, oh, I don't have to be a lawyer to do this. No, and I try to tell people, it doesn't matter what level of government, I always say, you know, uh, the, the most powerful people in the process are the ones that show up. Absolutely. And uh, sending an email is fine. Uh, but if you take the time, and you don't have to go to peer for the love of God, <laughs> nobody wants to go to peer, but it, it, 
you can show up at Cracker Barrels and that sort of thing, and you don't. It doesn't have to be confrontational. It doesn't have to be anything. All you got to do is say hi. My name is Libby, and I just want to talk to you about criminal justice. I'm, I have concerns about this. I just don't think it's right. Or I, I, I'm, you know, we have a problem with uh, water quality or whatever it is. Absolutely. And, and you hear you hear all the time in peer during legislative hearings, legislators casting a vote, and they say, "Well, I haven't heard from my constituents on this issue." Yep. So if they're not hearing from you, how are they supposed to represent you and take your views into consideration? Yep. And then it's on the governor's desk and you're mad. Exactly. Get involved before that, please. <laughs> Whoops. Little late. Um, well, that's going to be fun. It'll I be another so. raucous lit- uh, a legislative session for you. You'll be out there every yes. day, right? Yes. They, they are always a little bit raucous in some way. <laughs> and we'll have a, we'll, we will have a little, uh, uh, you know, a ceremony in your honor back here every time <laughs> something goes horribly wrong. We'll oh, say, please do. It keeps me Lily. going. <laughs> she's... she's <laughs> Living in a hotel room in Pier, it couldn't get any worse than that. <laughs> Libby Screen, she's policy director for ACLU of South Dakota. We have her in about once a month. So, Libby, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Coming up after the break here, we'll tell you what's going to be on the show tomorrow. Oh, it's going to be fun. Trust me. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Four fifty-eight on the Patrick Lally Show. Information one thousand KSOO. Hey, good show tomorrow night down at the Orpheum. The Sioux Falls Jazz and Blues Society presents Marilyn Scott and the West Coast All Stars. That's eight p.m. downtown Sioux Falls. For more information on this or other events in the Sioux Falls Sioux Empire, see our listing at KSOO.com. Love the Sioux Empire, the Sioux Falls Jazz and Blues Society. They do a great job with their series. Always very high quality. Coming up on the show tomorrow, we're going to talk about the State Theater with John Swedeen and Allison Weiland. Uh, they, of course, John is the, the uh, president of State Theater Company. Allison is the uh, development coordinator. And they have a new deal on naming rights that they announced this week. We'll do all that tomorrow. This is the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOL. <laughs>